Hi, everyone. This is Trish Kendall, your host for the Choose and Become interview series. So today it is, what, is it the third? Is it the fourth, Nicole? What, the fourth. Is it Jan- it's the fourth. January 4th. I don't even know the date because Nicole and I, my guest, who I'm going to introduce here in a second, are like going through this fog of coming out of the holiday. And I can't be more excited that Nicole Wiggins, my guest today, made the choice to spend this time with me for this interview coming right into 2024. So Nicole, just say hi super quick, and then I'll take a step back. (laughs) So for, for those of you who are new to my community, who don't follow this show, I just want to give a little bit of context before we dive in. I made five critical choices on my journey to enduring success. I picked up the phone. That was a first choice. I committed to a two-way agreement. I built trust in myself and then eventually inspired the trust of others. I created a community of belonging. And then my fifth and most critical choice is I finally embraced my boundless capacity to give love and to receive love. Now, in what I do, one of the best things is that I get to interact with people like Nicole, leaders who I admire. And so the purpose of this interview series is to ask those people I admire, like Nicole, to give their perspective and lessons and experiences using this five-choice framework so that we can get a little bit more of a sense of Nicole's origin story and your journey to enduring success. So, Nicole, I have to say, we got to give a shout out to Jill Havily because she introduced us. Absolutely. Hey, Jill. Exactly. Nicole is the Chief Diversity Officer at Navistar. We met in Chicago. Jill Havily, a, 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 a close friend and former colleague of mine who works with Nicole and the team there, introduced us. And immediately I knew. I was going to ask you to be on this interview. It just took me a while. Finally, <laughs> be like, I'm just going to ask her. <laughs> so, Nicole, will you just start? For those of you who don't know you yet, will you share a little bit about yourself? Absolutely. Um, first, before I do that, though, I want to say I just love your energy, and that's one of the reasons why I agreed to do this. And your journey and your story is so amazing to where you were and to where you are now. So kudos to you um, for for all that you've been able to accomplish. Uh, but I'm Nicole Wiggins, as as Trish mentioned, and I am the chief currently the chief diversity officer at Navistar, uh, which is a large manufacturing company based out of the Chicagoland area. Uh, I've worked in that space. Well, this space it'll be five years this year. So majority of the time was during uh, the pandemic. So it was, it was somewhat of a career shift for me. Uh, I spent 20 years in the procurement organization, uh, buying all kinds of things and working on new products and development and as well as supplier diversity. I led our supplier diversity efforts for, for some time, uh, which also is still a part of my organization. But I also, I'm a, a wife of uh, to my husband, Julian, for over 20 years now. And then I also have two amazing children. I know everyone says their kids are amazing, but mine are really amazing. <laughs> but um, my son, Julian, and my daughter, Cameron. But um, 
yeah, that's pretty much me in a nutshell. Um, that's me. Okay, well, let, let's go to your kids just for a second, because in one sure. of our conversations, isn't Julian a musician? Am I making he that is. up? He is. He is. So, so my son is, and I'll, I'll you know, a little brag a little bit about him. Yeah. So he just uh, recently finished his undergrad studies at Xavier University in Cincinnati, Ohio. And he has a degree in biology with a uh, minor in musical performance. And uh, he continues to, well, he's working as a microbiologist for a beverage company, yet he also, uh, he has a side gig where he is in the Funky Ducks. So he's in a cover band that they they travel wherever. So if anyone's interested in a cover band with, uh, I think it's six or seven, 22 and younger, <laughs> <laughs> they they sing all kinds of music from music from the seventies, the eighties. It's amazing just to to hear them. But he's uh he plays the saxophone, but he also sings as well. That's awesome. And tell me just a little bit more about Cameron. So Cameron is oh my gosh. So she's a senior in high school and she is uh me times a thousand, I always <laughs> say, because you know, she just she is amazing as well. She's on a speech team, so she's, she competes competitively. So usually uh, with these types of things, I get coaching, imagine that. I get coaching for my 18-year-old. I, I recently had to, to speak to our board of directors, and I, I, was, I was embarrassed because I had these note cards. I don't know why we get so nervous in those types of settings, but we do, right? Yeah, and do. I, I said, what, what would Cameron do? And so when I came home and, and I actually told them, I said, I'm not going to even use these cards. Why am I using these cards? You want to hear about what I do? I talk about this all the time. Why am I, why do I have these cards? And so when I got home from that, she was, and I was explaining to her, she asked me how I went. I was explaining to her what happened. And she's like, no cards? Really? Like, <laughs> <laughs> and you knew she was going to say that. I snitched on myself a little bit, but yeah. Uh, yeah. I didn't know she was going to say that, but um but yeah, I, I'm extremely blessed with both of them. Uh, she's in her senior year of high school, so we're you know actively seeking colleges and and uh, scholarships and all those things. But yeah, she's she's pretty. They they fill my cup. I'll say that both yeah. of them. Yeah, thank you for sharing more with us. And when I when I think of you and I observe you and I follow you. I know, like, right? But nowadays, that nowadays it's not stalking. It's not stalking. If you so, say so. I feel like you don't even know it. And I have observed so much uh, out there how you inspire through your leadership and through being a leader in people and culture and how you inspire and you inspire through so many different ways. And one of those ways is sharing more of you. Uh, so one of the things that I really want to start with is by all counts, you are incredibly successful. What you were just saying about your marriage and your family, your leadership at work. When I, what does enduring success mean to you? Creating enduring success. So I think, so I've been thinking a bit about this. And as you mentioned, we're coming off the holidays. So a lot of us have these New Year's resolutions and things that we, you know, want to do differently in the new year that we didn't do maybe the year before. And so when I think of endurance, it's, I, I think of sustainability, right? And 
I, I think it's a matter of, you know, being sustainable, but also realizing that you can reinvent. You know, I hear a lot of people, like I, you know, I'll share just real quickly. I've been with uh, the company I'm with currently, it'll be 25 years next month. All right. And, and I think assuming when people hear that, they assume you've been with the company, you've been in the same position for however long you said you were. Right. Mm-hmm. And I think endurance is is continuing to reinvent and redefine. So, you know, where where I was successful in my early 20s um, as a, as someone who was more junior in my career with young children is very different than where I am now. Uh, I, I see, I, I, I recently watched your TED Talk and, you know, I was really inspired about how you chose to just be a better you, right? Because you didn't want your past to define you. So I'm by no means saying, you know, enduring success is not perfection. And I think sometimes that's where we get mixed up is we think that, you know, if I wasn't successful in this one thing, then I'm never going to be successful. But I think it's about sustainability, reinventing, and just understanding that your journey is your individual journey. It's not someone else's. So. Can I take this snippet and have Cameron watch it? Right. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Because she might coach yeah. you on the note cards, but you coach her on life. That's true. That Beaut- is. Beautifully put. Because we think about our children and as they're growing and as they are experiencing success and the younger people on your team and those around you and reinventing, redefining, continuing to grow. So I love that. I always have the kids in the back of my head too. Well, then, how about this? Let's keep going uh, with the five choices. And if we start with, so for, for me, I learned that success begins with making a first choice. Like nobody can choose for you, right? Mm-hmm. For me, my first choice was picking up the phone, which, which could be considered profound or practical, however you think about it. Since then, I have made other first choices that weren't so profound. Will you share one of the first choices that you've made that when you reflect, you know that really impacted your journey to enduring success, to this reinventing type of success? I think it was finding my purpose. You know, that's one of my steps, I think. It was... And this isn't necessarily in the order of the five steps, I guess I'll say. We can maybe do a, a part two to talk about the order of it. But yes. Okay. <laughs> but I think that, um, at least from my experience, I've always wanted to do things that fit, fulfilled me as well as was a, a contribution to either the people or the organization that I am a part of. So I think when I, and I'll give you a short story. When I, when I had the opportunity, like I said, almost five years ago to transition into the diversity, equity, and inclusion space, I really was asking a lot of questions internally to myself, but also to the organization about why now, 
do we want to make this a focus at our in our organization? And why me? You know, and I think a lot of like I, I think it's a, those question those open ended questions is so they're so important to you know enduring success. So identify, you know, what is your purpose? What is going to make you feel joyful? You know, what is going to make you want to jump out the bed in the morning and, and, you know, realize every day is a new day to have a new beginning and to make an impact. So that's one of the first steps is what is my part? And I, and it, it may sound lofty, but you really, I, I really feel like people need to really think through like, what is my purpose? What's going to be my legacy? And it doesn't have to be anything like, you know, solving world peace or, world, you know, hunger or whatever it may be, right? But something that's going to make you be, you feel like at the end of the day or that, you know, when you're in is, is coming because we all have that at some point, right? I feel good about the life I've lived. And that, and that, to me, that even is enduring success. Yes. Right. And and finding your purpose, you know, as one of your first choices. And then what you just said, like, to me, that can be a definition of enduring success because it's, Mm -hmm. it's how you feel in, in, in what you're doing and how you're showing up, which begins with, I love how you put this. What is my legacy? Mm-hmm. Right. And now, did you find that your answer to that changed over time? Or once you created, once you said, I want to find my purpose, has it been consistent? Let's say, and, and, so in terms of, it has had adding to. So if you would ask me, even, you know, even maybe two or three years ago, well, let's say pre-COVID, because it's, it's pre-COVID, COVID, yeah. and now is, I feel like, the time that we live in. Because you think about it, you know, for three, four years, we were somewhat isolated, and we we're just coming out of that. But anyway, so pre-COVID, if anyone asked me, you know, and I think I used to do these little quizzes, what's your legacy? Without a doubt, I would say my children. Without a doubt. And if you ask me today, I'll still say my children. Yet, I'll also add to that is the impact I make on so many others as well. And part of me enduring success is embracing that. Because that was difficult for me to realize the impact, the positive impact that I had on others and how so many people were and are still depending on me to help make a difference, to make their their work better, their, you know, it, it just amazes me. The things that I, I think I'm just doing just because it's the right thing to do. When people come and tell me like how amazed they are by these things, I just, I mean, I'm forever grateful. Yet that's what keeps me going is realizing it's more than you, Nicole. You, you're, and I, I'll be honest, I probably fought it for a while where I'm like, okay, this is just about me and my kids and, and my family and my husband. And, but it's so much more than that. So much more than that. 
Uh, I'm going to probably pick up this part of the conversation when we go to the fifth choice. So I'll put that out as some foreshadowing. (laughs) And I'm sorry, because I will say this, and hopefully I'm not saying too much. Trish does try to give her her guests a heads up on what she's going to (laughs) ask. I will say this, though. I am probably not the most prepared. Yeah, this is well, because remember the last time we had a conversation. This was you were like you said we could should record this. Exactly, that's exactly what I said. We should be just be recording this. Okay, how about this? The second critical choice that I made on my journey mm-hmm. was for the first time to commit to a two way agreement. Two way, I remember that. Mm-hmm. Yes, and now for me that was an agreement between me and my sister. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it was it shout was out to your... sisters. Yeah, are you kidding? shout out to big sisters? I have a big sister too. Oh, my big sister, she's my best friend. I just talked to her before I jumped on here with you. Oh. I was like, I gotta go. I'm gonna be with Nicole. She's amazing. And, and now she had me enter this two way agreement, but the power of the agreement is when I committed to it, and mm-hmm. committing to it is what transformed me from. I have to do these things to I want to do these things. And so I've reflected through the years about the idea of two-way agreements. And I think we all enter two-way agreements all the time, an employer and an employee, a contractor and a partner, a spouse, a child and mom. Like there's two-way agreements all the way around us, informal or formal. The power is in committing to them. So is there just... Just give me your thoughts on on two-way agreements and or a specific two-way agreement that pops in your mind that has been impactful on your journey. And it could be like a difficult one, easy one, Mm -hmm. difficult one, but it's an agreement between you, two parties, and the experience of that. So I'm actually going to take it a little personal because I was thinking, I I liked your example about the employee employer. And, you know, I think sometimes people don't realize that and they're like looking at the fact, well, I work for this company. What's this company done for me? And not thinking about so much, what have you done for the company? Right. But on a personal level, um, my husband and I have been together. We actually met on my 16th birthday. And um, he told me the day he met me that he was going to marry me. And I thought he was crazy. (laughs) I'm like, I said, like, what are you talking about? But what I realized as I am the age I am now, and we've now been married for 20 years and together for 25 plus years, is that when when someone knows what they want, they know what they want, mm-hmm. right? And so in terms of, of a marriage in general, at least from my experience in my marriage, I feel like the two-way agreement is, yes, when, you come, when you're married, you come together as one in the union, yet you both still have separate lives. I was talking to a friend of mine just recently, and he probably doesn't realize that he impacted me in this way with this just a statement. I was fussing about something, um, you know, and he just recently got married, him and his husband. And he said to me, 
He said, one of the the things I do, shout out to Dylan, that's his name. But one of the things I do is, I mean, I realize this is his life too. So I think a lot of times when we're, we're looking to meet our own personal goals, we don't always consider the other person. And I, I, Again, if it's no other two-way agreement that you're aware of, you know what I mean? Because like mar- marriage is one that you're aware of. Yeah. Other one, or you should be. <laughs> but I think there's so many, to your point, two-way agreements that are made that you don't think about it that way. Mm-hmm. Like whether it's your employer, whether it's your your um, role as a parent, your role as a leader. Yeah. You know, um, that's another one I can use as an example. Mm -hmm. Mentor, mentee. Yes. Yeah. Horrible. It's. Yeah. A sponsor and a sponsor, someone that you're sponsoring, something like that. There's so many. And I really love the way that you break it down to a two way agreement because that that's that's very simplistic, yet it's often not realized. Mm -hmm. Well, thank you for that. And. I have since thought about not only in my life, but then when I'm working with others, is like where, where is the breakdown sometimes in two-way agreements? And sometimes I reflect, communication. Communicate, right? <laughs> communicate, like, just let's be clear and set the expectations and agree mm-hmm. on them. Right? Communication. Totally. Yeah. Uh, is there... Actually, I'm going to move us to the third one. I'm going to move us okay. to, because the thing is, is I could literally have an interview with you for each of these. So <laughs> the third critical choice I made, which was to build trust in myself. Hmm. I had to first build trust in myself before I could ever figure out how to inspire the trust of others. Mm-hmm. So if it's okay with you, I'd like to start with building trust in yourself but then I also want to take it to how do people inspire your trust because you're a leader and I and I want to get your perspective on that but can we start with how do you build trust or have you built trust in yourself and is there a story even if there's a story or an example where you've had to mm-hmm. yeah, it's hard <laughs> I'll, I'll tell you that I'll tell you that much. It is not it is not an easy feat to build trust in yourself. Um, I think, uh, and I'll take it back to it's probably about eight years ago, and um, there was you know for those familiar with the industry that I, I'm in, which is the automotive uh, OEM. So okay, so as I was saying, the industry is cyclical, and there was a point in time where. You know, the, the company was offering uh, voluntary separation packages to people in the organization. And because of my tenure, I would have, you know, garnered a, a really decent package. And at the time in my career, in my role, I was I was kind of trying to figure things out, to be honest with you. I was doing work that I wasn't sure was was still serving me. And, and I knew I was still serving the organization, but I wasn't sure if it was still serving me. And my purpose. And, you know, obviously I was still, I was gainfully employed, which was always a blessing, but I wasn't sure if that was something I wanted to continue to do. So I remember talking to my manager at the time because, you know, in addition to myself taking this into consideration, I also had to 
provide information on my on my team. And I, I've always been been fortunate enough to have these very close-knit teams. And um, anyway, I'll fast forward to the conversation with my manager. And he asked me if anyone on my team had had um, been considering taking, you know, the separation. And, and uh, I said, yes, everyone, including me. And the pause on his face was pretty interesting. And I, I want to say, not for the first time, but let's say I was, I felt so liberated in that moment because I wasn't really, I didn't have anything else lined up. I didn't have, you know, so I had to really trust. I had talked to my husband, I had talked to my parents about it. And they were like, if you're really that unhappy or you're, you know, this is an opportunity. You, you're, you're you're marketable. You'll find something within, you know, the time frame that you have. And I just, I really felt liberated, but I really felt I had to trust myself to even take that chance, which is interesting because it's a two-way, it goes back to your two, the two-way agreement too, because they could have easily, because what I did not mention is it was either you could take the package or I could have potentially been laid off. Oh. So I was really taking a chance. That is risk. Right. right. So I wasn't sure if I was going to be impacted by the layoff or, you know, if I should just, you know, kind of write my own fate and, and take the package. So obviously I'm still here. But. <laughs> right. As I mentioned, 25 years next month. But what again, I trusted myself in having a conversation that I may not have had otherwise about what value I felt that I brought and how I didn't feel like I was being valued. It forced a conversation that so many of us don't have. And we just decide to move on or, or go seek other opportunities without these unhappy. Because we make these stories up in our head. For sure. About, a lot of times, right? About what we should try to do or, you know, how the organization feels about you. We make up these stories in our head all the time. So it really, I think from that time on, I felt extremely liberated and, and where I could be my authentic self. Because I was like, well... What I mean, <laughs> I could say, what do you have to lose? But I mean, there's plenty I could have lose, lost. Yeah, you had something to lose. Yeah, but I, I really, I, I felt, and hopefully, that's you know, you're good with that example because I really felt like you know I had to really trust myself in whatever the outcome. I was going to figure it out. And I love the example, it, 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 and it, it also brings home your comment about communication. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because you had to choose to trust yourself, your being, by communicating your truth mm-hmm. in this situation mm-hmm. where you had something at risk. And if you wouldn't have communicated that, you might not be leading the people you're leading. Who knows? Today, Who right? knows? People yeah. that you embrace, that you're impacting, that you embrace mm-hmm. that, yes, you are the leader that's impacting these lives. So, okay, how about this? How do people inspire your trust? 
See, I, I wasn't quite sure in how to answer this. So inspire my trust. So how do they inspire me to trust them? Yeah, yeah. How do they get you? How do they earn your trust? Well, a lot. Of, I, I don't. Be off, being authentic and doing what you say you're going to do. I mean, it's real simple <laughs> for me. You know, if you show up when you say you will, you know, those are things that I think in terms of who I trust and depend on or rely on, because I, I feel like I, I am, a, uh, and I've even, I had done this uh, like personal assessment thing. And, and one of the things that I got back continuously was that I was, I was, I was loyal in a sense to where, you know, I'm going to tell it like it is, yet if I tell you I'm going to do something, I'm going to do it. So I feel like I, I expect and I, I want the same from others. So I do have, I'll be transparent, I do have a small circle of those that I consider consider friends, but I do have a wide range of acquaintances. And that's not to say that I, I trust some more than others. Yet what I will say is if you're in any part of any of those circles, <laughs> you are someone who I feel that I can trust. There's trust there. Mm-hmm. Is there... The tr- trust people was uh, my Angelo, uh, the, the trust when people uh, tell you who they are, believe them the first time. <laughs> I'm, I'm, ba- I'm, batch- I'm, I'm butchering it up a little bit, but it, it's pretty that's the gist of it yeah like when, when and, people show you who they are believe them and then right until they disprove that it, it mm-hmm. you go yeah. in you go in yeah, with a, the int- yeah yeah it takes a long time it takes a long time with anything right it's a, well not i shouldn't say with anything with trust specifically it, it may take a long because i'm not one because i know a lot of i know some people who just trust off the bat Right. But for me, it takes it does take a while. I'll be honest to to um, to develop trust in someone, but it takes to lose it. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, I'm and trying then, to do better. Well, I- <laughs> but, but but isn't that? I mean, just so my husband and I, Joe, <laughs> were mm-hmm. sitting outside the other night. Well, now I'm digressing, but I'm going to digress. Friday night dates are outside if it's above 40 degrees. Oh, cute. Uh, His dad comes over. We have a little something to drink. We're always listening to blues music. It's our favorite thing. And we had a discussion that night with his dad. It was all about trust. And and Joe is like as simple as is what you're saying. It takes a lot to earn my trust. And isn't it something that you could have 20 years of trust and one moment, one mm-hmm. moment can just ruin everything. And I think about well, that usually, business. And sorry, no, I think about that with business and personal. Yeah. And then think about it because it's about relationships and I, and you have to be careful what you trust people with too. Hmm. You know, um, and I had this conversation with my kids too, like, there are, you know, there are people in your life for different reasons, seasons, all that kind of thing, right? Yet there are people that I'm going to, I'm going to trust, I'll trust they're going to be exactly who they are and they're going to do exactly what they do. 
So don't expect, and I had this conversation with my husband as well, don't expect everyone to be what you are. Right. Because you'll, you'll always be disappointed, honestly. If you continue, if you expect people to handle situations or be like you are, you'll, you'll be disappointed. And uh, show up being yourself. Do what you say you're going to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Super the summary. <laughs> you said is going to lead me to our fourth to the fourth critical choice you talked about circles you have few very close friends and then you have a lot of acquaintances and wherever you're at in that there's a level of trust Mm -hmm. the fourth critical choice i made was to create community to create community and then belonging Mm -hmm. uh and then i figured out well those two kind of go together it's communities of belonging yeah. Me, I mean, Nicole, I was 30 years old. I was working with Jill Havily. She and I were at Hewitt Associates together. I had more professional success than I could ever have imagined, as you mentioned, coming from the crap that I the, the journey that I came from. So you went through it though. But I went through it and then all of a sudden I'm 30 years old and, and I'm sitting there and I'm looking around. I'm like, what is missing? And it's because I was friendly with everyone and friends with no one. No one. Yeah, I, 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 yeah. I heard you say that before and I was like, wow. Right. And that, that, that feeling of belonging, I just didn't even, I actually didn't even know what it felt like. Now I do. But did you want to be friends with people? That's what I was curious about. I didn't until then. Until okay. then. So like throughout. But why? why? I, know that, I know you're supposed to be asking me the questions. I'm sorry. I'm going to get you. Because I still, because I still felt like something was missing from my life and it wasn't into, you know, I was independent at that point. You know, I was healthy at that point. I had no desire to be in an intimate relationship. So that had no bearing in my world. And I was like, look at them. I mean, they're over there and they seem to be, have a lot in common and look at them over there. And, and they're talking about things outside of work. Like they know each other in a way that's not just work related. Mm-hmm. And I, and I felt like a gap. I felt like, wait, I want that. Mm-hmm. I actually want that. Mm-hmm. And what I figured out is I had to create it. Mm-hmm. It wasn't just going to happen. On day, I was going to all of a sudden belong somewhere. And so I created friendships with five women that are still, you know, to this day, an incredible part of my journey. So now here's the thing. I think we all know what it feels like to not belong. Uh, Also acknowledging that some of us have a greater sense of what that feels like than others. Mm -hmm. Will you just, what does it feel like to not belong? And then I'm going to flip it to what does it feel like to belong? But what does it feel like not to belong? And what's your perspective on creating that sense of belonging? Okay. Well, I think, you know, and I have, um, I work in a a male dominated industry and, you know, prior to moving into this, this space that I'm in now, which is diversity, equity, and inclusion. Um, 
I was often the only, in so many cases, the only woman, the only black person. Um, and until maybe seven years, seven or eight years ago, I had a lot of people, well, I had people that were on my, well, even now though, but in terms of the age gap too, because again, it was a traditional, traditional environment. So in terms, and, and I say traditional in a sense that, and we're, I'm not going to go into this, but in terms of the jobs that are in this corporate environment weren't for, for people like me. Right. You know, there, there, you know, I, I've heard the saying, you got to see it to be it. And you rarely saw people like me in those positions and of respect and power, honestly. Right. So to feel like you don't belong can be extremely lonely and empty. You know, and so you, you, a lot of times you go to the survival mode and you end up having your work life and then your personal life and, and never should the two cross. And that's why I went to like the traditional thinking because uh, I was watching, um, I've, I've been watching, I think we all binge watch Netflix and chill a little too much, but anyway. <laughs> I was watching um I was watching a documentary recently about work and what is work that's uh pretty much facilitated by uh former president Obama. And I'm not done with it, but I got intrigued about it because it, he is essentially interviewing people from service industries all the way to the C C suite of different organizations and understand and trying to understand what is work to them and what motivates them. And I think, you know, when I was going like in my early, early part of my career, you know, people had me by 30 years with the organization and they would say things to me. Like I'd ask a lot of questions as, you know, young people tend to do. And, you know, never would I really take the, we, we do it this way because we always have done it this way, but that doesn't make it make it make sense. It's kind of exactly. what like. so. No, I think it's it's extremely empty and lonely. And not to say you have to be this extreme extrovert, extroverted person, but if you don't feel supported, and if you don't feel like you matter, or you're not seen, or you're not respected, that could be extremely lonely mm-hmm. and just unfulfilling. There are times when, uh, if I'm facilitating this type of dialogue with a workshop with teams, I'll ask people, and I ask myself this, so we know what it feels like to not belong. Mm-hmm. You write down a name of somebody that is in your world that you think might not feel like they belong. Like put mm-hmm. a like put a picture to that. You know, mm-hmm. put a name to that. Put realness to that and then what are you going to do to try to help create that so i think about I love that, that because I you're so that. practical and the things mm-hmm. that you do with your team to create create those results so how does it feel to belong amazing <laughs> so i'll and shout out to my current uh you know, peers and the senior leadership team that I'm a part of, because I'm not, I 
I often refer to myself as an HR transplant because it's not uh, a space that I've worked in like my entire career or such, right? But they embraced me right away. Um, and it, you know, and a lot of times to your point, you have to build that community, you have to build. Now, let me, let me say that I did know a few of the leaders prior to joining the organization from working with them over the years, but not in a direct, you know, not directly together. But I think, you know, when you, it's not easy. The work's not easy. This work is definitely not easy in terms of, of creating a more diverse, equitable, and inclusive environment both internally and for our external stakeholders. This is probably by far the most challenging work I've ever done. Um, because again, you're having to continue to reinvent. You're, you're having to um, be more aware of what's going on on the outside world than you really want to know. But anyway, <laughs> I think that because I have such a strong community, that that is what keeps me going. Now, and that's what makes me want to create community for people in our organization and to continue to build so we can understand each other, our differences, our uh, similarities, because, and hopefully it's okay, He, could, your editor can cut this out if you think it's necessary. But when I first got in this space, I was like, what's important for people? Because people don't want to talk about, and again, this is pre-COVID when you can really more openly talk about, you know, the LGBTQ plus community. You could openly talk about race. None of that was on on the table really to talk about. I mean, we had, we, we had at the time, I think we had seven employee resource groups and they were at varying levels of engagement. And, um, you know, leaders wanted to make great community for our organization. We have eight now. Yet certain things within their communities were not up for discussion, honestly. Like people just, I don't know, they they just really didn't want to talk about it. And, and that's a lot of people pre-COVID, right? Yet what we were able to do during COVID when everyone needed community was to create that community and that sense of belonging. This is not just for our corporate employees, but people that have been working remote prior to our manufacturing employees, our employees in our parts distribution centers. And so with that, you know, going back, I'm sorry, going back to when I first started, I said, if people could just stop being assholes, we live in a much better world. Because at the, at the, you know, I embrace that. I might use it instead of love. I might get a better reception than no, we don't want to talk about this love thing. Right. Keep going. But right. Right. I mean, seriously, like if you, if you real, you start realizing your reality is different than mine and vice versa. And at the end of the day, because I was talking, so I mentioned, so we have eight employee resource groups. I was talking to one of the leaders recently, like this is a while back. And he was like, our people want this, 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 this. I said, you realize that other people want that too, even if they're not a part of your community. Mm-hmm. And he had to pause because, you know, just simple human things. Like, I want my children to have a great education. I want, you know, I want to be successful. I want that. That's not specific to your community. That's a specific to humanity. So 
I do, and I got kind of going off a little bit, but I think when you feel like you belong, you can you can have those types of conversations with people, and you can show up and be your authentic self, and you can feel like I'm being heard, seen, and respected, and I'm a part of a, a you know, and we have great team spirit, and I'm a part of a of something bigger, as I mentioned before, because it is, I mean, of course, we want to at the end of the day make great products and. And, you know, without customers, we don't have a company yet. <laughs> For those who, who, who does that is the people, the people in the organization. So whether you're the person, I love what you said about, you know, if you feel there's someone who doesn't feel like they belong, write their name down and figure out how you can help them to, to feel that way. Because some people just want to be left alone, too. Yeah, right. Really, you know, some people are perfectly fine with that and you need to be fine. We all, we need to be fine with that too. You can't eat just because someone is not like you doesn't mean that there is something wrong with them. Right. We have to respect people's differences in addition and we respect their differences, but we can also respect where we have our common needs and goals. I love that. And I, 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 one thing that you said a little bit ago, and I know I got to speed us up, but I just don't want to. <laughs> I'm like, I don't know how many episodes this is about to be. <laughs> I break it out into chapters too. So we'll have the full episode to break it out into chapters. So everybody just keep coming along with us. When trust, you made a comment about when you were younger, you would ask a lot of questions like younger people do. I still do. See, exactly. <laughs> that is one of the things that I've observed about you. And I think it's so important and so instrumental to, in order to respect people's differences, you've got to first understand what the differences are. I'm not talking mm-hmm. about surface level differences either. You know, so there's mm-hmm. surface level differences, but then what does that mean? What does that mean for somebody's life and culture and thinking and expression? And, you know, and if you don't ask questions and if you don't listen, you know, so stop being an asshole, show up with the intention of of connecting, then we'll get, you know, we'll create a little bit of a better space. Yeah. I, so I've shifted from saying that, oh, I just asked a lot of questions to Something that I feel like is a little more sophisticated. I said I, I lead with curiosity and humility. Love it. So instead of saying I ask a lot of questions, I lead with curiosity and humility because I do feel like it, it is, you know, ignorance is bliss, right? And we're all ignorant in some capacity. Yet, if I want to know something, I and I, I do, I'm, I'm curious about so many things. I lead with curiosity and humility because what other way is there to, to be honest with you? The fifth critical choice I made, because <laughs> it's going to lead us right into it. The fifth critical choice I made was to finally embrace my boundless capacity to love. The verb, like the action, the the giving and receiving of love, the action. Now, for for me, these five choices were linear. For you and for other people, they're not, you, you know, but you're you're going along with me in this linear fashion because I wasn't prepared for I like the structure. Okay. <laughs> I was there was like no way I could embrace love before I figured out how to build trust. You, you know, for me, it, it worked out this way. I think everybody could just fast forward and start with embracing love. Mm-hmm. And, and when, when, when I use the term love, 
I'm not talking about love as an emotion, which isn't a choice, but I'm referring to love the verb, which is a choice. And I think giving and receiving love manifests differently for different people at different times in different situations. You gave an example earlier, just like, stop being an (laughs) a-hole, you know, like is an example. So, and that's probably going to be a quote now that my editor. <laughs> I'm going to get a bumper sticker. <laughs> so I do want to ask you about what it feels like to give all of your love. Cause I'm talking about all like not holding back, not withholding, but maybe we lead into this with just give me your raw and candid reaction to the idea of showing up in interactions to give love and receive it back. Mm-hmm. So this is where and you and I have had this conversation about, you know, I had originally when, you know, Jill connected us, I was like fascinated, to be honest with you, with your story. Yet I was like, I don't know if I'm ready to have these conversations. I'll be honest with you. And, and I said, and I, well, we've had this, right. We've talked about that. We've talked through this and I, I don't know that we are as an organization, you know, you know, company aside, ready to, to have these types of conversations. But over time, as you're following me, I'm also following slash talking you, I guess. And, you know, now that I've heard your story a few times, I feel like it's, it's being humble. And having a certain level of empathy, like where while I can't personally relate to what, you know, what you've been through, I can respect you as another woman and empathize with you to where, you know, I'm showing up, like I'm showing up here you're getting the call 100% here, right? And so I, I feel like, you know, you're. Sh- I'm showing up, showing respect, and ultimately love, right? You, you share because I'm not one to 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 use the word love loosely, right? And I think sometimes people. I, I love that you said I'm not talking about the emotion. I'm talking about the verb. Like, I love you, right? And I know I've been using that a lot more because, you know, I'm I'm one too that's about giving people their flowers while they're still here because I've experienced a lot of loss. Um, But yeah, when you show up as your 100% authentic self, I feel like you're, you're giving love. Yeah. And you're ready to receive love that way. When you show up, this is who I am. And, you know, and it, it may war, it may go in certain settings, some maybe not, yet this is who I am. Yeah. I think that's loving yourself, too. That's, that's showing up as Nicole and Trish loving yourself. Because yeah. that's where it starts, right? You have to love yourself before you can love anyone else. And I think, you know, and again, I know you're you're asking most of the questions here, but 
think that's really what happened is when you figured out how to love yourself is when you you were at a in a place to have that self-awareness to establish legacy purpose and then to be able to give that to others yeah so you go ahead girl I love it. I love you. You're just, you're, and then your examples just, just stay with me. You know, leading with, with curiosity and humility. That's to me. That's giving love. You know, showing up with your authentic self, giving and receiving love. Like people can say kindness and respect, and you know, I, I just use that terminology, and I believe, like with everything in my being that well how about this there's a whole bunch of reasons why we don't as human beings show up giving all of our love right there's countless reasons if you know them we've experienced them you experience them you know to this day as you're leading teams and all of that but what I do and know, trust has something to do with that too. But you know, keep going you with that. Yes, keep going with that with the situation, with mm-hmm. the person, with mm-hmm. the environment. Okay, I told you to just keep going with that, and then I answered the question. <laughs> you got it. <laughs> yeah, like I need to feel safe. Yeah, with the situation. psychological safety, physical safety. Yes, you know, you you have to. Yeah, it's a lot. It's a lot that goes into it. Like I know that's your fifth, but all of it goes together. Like you said, it's it's it all goes together. It all goes together. You have so beautifully put it all together, sharing your lessons and advice and wisdom and experience. And I feel like, well, how about this? I, for me, and I'm going to project this out to others that. There's so many reasons why we don't show up with the intent of giving and receiving love. But when we do, when we do, that is when we truly create enduring success. We know our purpose, we redefine, we reinvent, we lead with you know curiosity and humility. All of these things is with the intention of showing up that way. And, and... When we do it, I think that's when we fuel the success of others. Yeah. Right? Awesome. Instead of this yeah. world of, in order for me to go up, I push you down. You know, this mm-hmm. is when we create enduring success and fuel the success of others. And Nicole, you, you choosing to show up and give me all of you today. And then even take some of me, take some more of me. <laughs> and receive. I can't tell you how I'm thinking that way. <laughs> Love it. I love it. I thank you so much for spending this time with me, for sharing your stories and your experience and the Nicole's, the little Nicole nugget on this January. Great, greater later. Right. That's another okay. one of my little things. So here's the deal for everybody following us. Nicole and I are going to continue having Nicole and Trish conversation. So that's going to happen. You guys don't get a, you don't, you don't get a like first row seat. They don't get a boat. You did get a first row seat into this. So I can't wait to post this full episode. And as I was just saying, we always post chapters. So if you just want to get a little bit of the nuggets uh, before you watch the whole thing. 
Thank you for following me on this journey. Uh, this is Trish Kendall, your host for the Choose and Become interview series. Thank you for joining me for this episode of the Choose and Become interview series. To check out more episodes, go to www.trishkendall.com backslash podcast, or go to any of your favorite podcast channels, including YouTube under Trish Kendall Speaks, and you'll find this interview and more. Choose and become.